Well, it's a real privilege uh, to be invited to share with you all today, and I bring you greetings from uh, our team at Ministries of Pastoral Care. Our intercessors around the world actually have been lifting up the demon students here at Tyndale this week, um, and it's such a privilege to um, be together with more of the saints here and witness um, how the Lord is leading your community here in the building up of his body. As I prayed about sharing with you all at chapel today, uh, the Lord impressed upon me our great need for silence, actually. This felt like a bit of a puzzle to me because um, here we are in a week that is so much about using words to teach and learn. And I was literally asked to speak in chapel. And so I said, Lord, really? Quiet? But yes, he continued to draw me to silence, to quiet. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with Callistos Ware's book, The Inner Kingdom. Uh, He writes, uh, In an age when language has been shamefully trivialized, it is vital to rediscover the power of the word. And this means rediscovering the nature of silence not just as a pause in the middle of our talk, but as one of the primary realities of existence. That we must rediscover silence as one of the primary realities of existence. We live in a noisy world, full of distraction and idle talk, and we have these clever and appealing technologies that would just fill in every moment and make literally constant communication possible. But this endless stream of words actually leaves us even more empty and disconnected. Words can be used not the way God created them, which is to symbolize and to share meaning, but words can be used actually to obscure meaning. The therapeutic culture encourages self-expression and self-disclosure to a point of absurdity. And Henry Nouwen writes about this in Reaching Out. I'll quote him. He says, There is a false form of honesty that suggests that nothing should remain hidden and that everything should be said, expressed, and communicated. Just as words lose their power when they are not born out of silence, so openness loses its meaning when there's no ability to also be closed. The idea of choosing silence, of resting in quiet, and of treasuring things in our hearts is suspect. And instead, we are encouraged to express every thought, to vent our feelings, to get things off our chest. Agnes Sanford highlights a wise contrast here between the world's guidance to do this and and the deeper, quiet way of the Christian life. She says, if one desires only to get something off his chest, well and good. But if one desires to develop spiritual powers, let him get something into his chest instead, namely the love of Christ. And I believe what the Lord is saying to us today is that it's in quiet that he gets his love into our chest. It is in the whispers of his presence that we receive his love. But the reflection that comes from silence has disappeared from our world. 
Our hearts are crying out for quiet. And I'm going to quote again from Callisto Ware. Each must learn to be alone. And so in the stillness of their own heart, they will begin to hear the wordless speech of the Spirit, thus discovering the truth about themselves and about God. Then their word to others will be a word of power because it is a word out of silence. And in asking the Lord, how, how could I use a chapel talk to bring quiet? Or more correctly, how could you use my chapel talk to bring your quiet? Uh, I was led to actually read a story to you all. Um, and so I'm going to read a story. Um, this is from a book titled The Scent of Water, which was written by an, the English novelist Elizabeth Googe. This book was published in 1963. And The Scent of Water is essentially a story of renewal, and it is set in a, in a tiny country village in England called Appleshaw. And I'm going to read to you from a chapter in which Mr. Hepplewhite takes a walk. Mr. Hepplewhite is what we would call a self-made man, Um, but he's now at a moment in his life when his striving and compromising has caught up with him. In this scene, he's decided to take a walk to survey his property, and he's going to walk to the old cottage that had been the primary residence before his grand manor house was constructed. So would you please just receive this story? Just let me read this story to you now. So it was Saturday afternoon, and Mr. Hepplewhite decided to go for a walk. The decision was momentous, for he never walked. Like all the lordly ones, he shot, that being the natural activity of the species, and he played golf to keep his weight down, and these pursuits involved walking, but walking for walking's sake had always seemed to him an act of insanity. What was the point of it? Muscles could be stretched in more intelligent ways, and the beauties of nature could be more conveniently observed from the window of a car. There was, of course, this question of wanting to be alone. On a golf course, there were other men. A car did not take one to the lonely places, and legs did. But he could be alone in his library. Shrugging on his Macintosh in the hall, he realized with something of a shock that he had not wanted to be alone out of doors since his childhood not until this afternoon. He scarcely noticed Ash Lane as he tramped down it, and only at the edge of the wood did he become aware of his surroundings. It was November, and the beech trees still carried their leaves. The fine drizzle was no more than a drifting veil, and it was almost dry and strangely warm under the weight of gold. Sometimes a single leaf floated down and fell into the beach mass below like a drop of rain into the sea to be lost there. But otherwise there was no movement and no sound, not even of his own footsteps on the moss and soft earth. He'd come to the farm before he realized it, for its gold-likened roof and silver-gray walls were hardly distinguishable from the wood around it. The mist was wet on his face again as he crossed the clearing, cool as the spray that had so often drenched him on board his boat. He came to the door and found it locked. He pushed hard, hoping the lock would break, for the place was his, and the resistance angered him. He banged on the door, but there was no answer, only silence and the drip of trees. 
He went to the right-hand window, but, through the gla- but though the glass was gone, he could make no entrance through the iron bars fixed across it. He shook them, but they were as unyielding as the door. He could only look through them. He saw the workshop with the shavings on the floor, the workbench and lathe, the chair legs and Mr. Baker's artifacts upon the shelf. He saw no beauty in their wooden shapes and wondered that anyone should think them worth protecting with these bars. Then, after a while, the workshop captured his attention and held it. He realized slowly that a man spent his working life there. It was his world as much to him as a great factory to its owner, or as the vast web of high finance to the men who spun and schemed within it. But this world upon which he looked through the bars had a stark simplicity. The man who worked was not dependent upon other men. There was nothing here to entangle or betray him. The primitive lathe, the wood of trees, his own vision, brain, and muscle, the silence were all he had. Mr. Hepplewhite stood and gazed until it seemed the scene he looked upon had burned itself into his mind. It was utterly unfamiliar to him, and yet he recognized it. Men whose blood was in his veins, his mother's people, had lived this way. He stood and looked, and nostalgia became a sort of despair. He went quickly to the other window and shook the bars there, trying to banish the misery with anger. But he could not recapture the anger. He could only stand there looking. This was no workshop, only an emptiness. But he saw the gracious, ruined stairway, the atom mantelpiece, and the broken plaster flowers upon the floor. He vaguely remembered the vicar telling him that the squire whose portrait hung in his living room had rebuilt the manor house. He'd not been sufficiently interested to ask where the fellow had lived in the meantime. It could have been that the man who in his later life had spent his evenings where he spent his in his library at home had sat here before this hearth, reading or listening to his wife playing the harpsichord. His books would have lined the walls, the smoke from his pipe drifting its blueness across the gold and crimson of their bindings. That past, too, was now in his blood. He looked in upon the man, and again he looked so long that he was bemused. Coming back to himself, he was aware of the iron bars in his grasp, cold and wet, and claustrophobia gripped him, as though they were keeping him in instead of out. He stepped quickly back, aware of the blessed space of the clearing about him. He was ashamed of his momentary panic, but he did not look again through the two windows. He walked to the end of the clearing and looked instead at the old thorn tree. For a while, it held his attention with its twisted strength. Most of the leaves had gone, but it glowed deep crimson with berries. Then he saw the well and did not know that he'd walked to it. There was a small boy leaning over the edge of the well, sniffing the scent of water, feeling the cool breath on his face, feeling down with one hand for the cavity behind the wet ferns where the butter was hidden. He found it, but the butter was not there today. There was an emptiness. He peered down the well, expecting to see his own brown face, but there was a fair-faced boy down there, snub-nosed, freckled, and red-headed. There were two small boys, and it was morning. The sun shone, and the birds sang. 
A few moments later, sitting on the parapet of the well, but with his back to it, Mr. Hepplewhite was in in the grip of rage. It was scarcely against his present troubles that he raged. His fury now lay deeper than those surface things, though possibly the savage laceration of his pride and his emotions had laid him open to it. It had to do with those two rooms at which he had been looking through the bars, with the well and the two boys. For the first time in his life, he had seen with vividness a picture of a world that had gone, the craftsman world, the world of the garlands about the hearth and the books upon the wall, of the wells of faith and the innocence and perception of children. Even he, a child of the slums, had once perceived the scent of water. Had he lived in this place a hundred years ago, he would not have sat here now, one of the richest and most successful men in the country, yet facing defeat like the crashing of ice flows about him and sickened of the whole business to the marrow of his bones. And here, Mr. Hepplewhite digressed again into angry self-justification for the moment breaking out of the quiet of this place and using words in his mind to chase away the real presence that was coming near to him. Striding across the clearing, he was angry again. The thing, whatever it was, had no right to demand this watchfulness. If it had anything to communicate, then let it blaze and thunder the news across the heaven for all men to see and hear. This was no world for whispers and intuitions. It might have been once when the monks lived here or when the woman who had played the harpsichord in that room had dropped her hands in her lap to listen. Possibly the old anachronism who now toiled at his craft in in that workshop knew a thing or two. No one else did nowadays. They'd know silence. Little by little, it had been stolen from them. And I'm going to pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would open, open the door to us. Lord, open to us that ancient place of quiet Come to us in your quiet, holy God. Restore what has been stolen from us, Lord. Let us know again the scent of water. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to treasure in our hearts those whispers, those intuitions. And we thank you that that ancient place is still in our blood. We thank you for restoring to us silence, for restoring to us quiet. And I'm going to send you all out with uh, an ancient benediction, a Celtic blessing. Uh, so receive this gift from the Lord himself. Deep peace of the running wave to you. Deep peace of the flowing air to you. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the shining stars to you. Deep peace of the sun of peace to you. Amen. And I will dismiss you all in quiet. <laughs>